Um, just take a moment, just have a little look around you at the different people around the room and things. And, uh, you know, if you look around the room, hopefully I'll, you'll see some people who you would consider to be great friends. But you'll probably also see some people who maybe you, you see now and again, but, and you've, you've got an affection for and you, you care for, but it's a, a little bit different. And you'll probably also see some people who you, if you're honest, you don't even really know. You might not even know their names. You might not even know if they're here every week or if they're just here today and you just don't know them at all. You know, in the mix of the people who are here, if we bumped into one another outside of church, it's probably people here who you'd never have a reason to sit down with, you never have a reason to talk to, you never have a reason to, to get to know, and yet we all come together around one person, around Jesus. But you know, as different as we all are, and whether or not that you would consider yourself to be someone who has a relationship with Jesus already or not, there's something else that I think we'd all come together around, something else that I think we'd all agree on that motivates every single one of us. And we might define it in different ways, it might mean different things to us, it might be that we'd understand it differently, but every single one of us, we want to do life well, don't we? We want to do life well. Where it starts to get complicated is in the fact that it does mean different things to all of us. And, and it does look at it like different things to each one of us. And we get bombarded with all of these different kind of ideas and all of these different messages as to what it looks like and what it means and how we can go about doing life well. And so some people say, well, you'll do life well if you live for the moment. Don't worry about what's coming. Whereas other people will say you'll do life well if you plan for your future so that you're secure and you're not going to end up in a mess down the road. Some people will say you'll do life well if you just kind of live to try and enjoy yourself and to have fun. That's make that your focus and other people would say no. You'll do life well if you focus on how you can give the most into society, how you can be a model citizen, how you can follow the rules. Some people say living life well is really all about relationships. It's all about people. It's about your family. It's about your friends. It's about getting time together. And if you, if you do that, then you'll enjoy life and you'll do life well. As other people would say, no, you've got, life is about being productive. You've got to achieve something. You want to look back at the end of your life and, and feel like you've been able to achieve something, that you've built something. And you know, it can be the same when it comes to thinking about how we can do life well with Jesus. How we can follow God well. People emphasize different things, whether it be living a moral life and kind of following the kind of rules that God lays out for us, or whether it's about you know, how, how if we want to do life and follow God well, then we need to make sure we're growing in our understanding of God and studying the Bible and, and all of that kind of thing. Or other people will emphasize and say, you know, really doing life well with God's all about ex- your relationship with Him. It's about personal things. It's about your experience of Him. It's about knowing that you're loved. It's about that experience of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you. And it can all get a bit complicated, can't it? And we can feel pulled in different directions. And, and one moment, something will get hold of us. And we think, oh, I need to spend my time doing that. And then suddenly we'll realize we're not doing that. And someone else will come along and say, no, this is what you should be doing. And so we'll kind of get pulled along and we'll end up over here. And so we, we have times when we feel like God gets hold of us and says, you need to spend more time in prayer. Or times when God gets hold of us and says, you need to get out and about in the community. And there's all these different messages which come at us about what it looks like to do life well. And they're all good. And they're all valuable. And so it can feel like life can become really complicated. Really confusing. 
as we're left trying to work out what's the right thing to do. Is this okay? Is it okay for me to do this now that I'm a Christian? How should I handle this kind of a situation? What does it look like for me to follow God in my marriage when this is what's going on between us? How can I follow all of the right rules and all of the right guidelines so that I do life well and I follow God well? And you know, this kind of desire to do life well is nothing new. It's something which has kind of been a part of of us as human beings, I think, probably from the beginning of time. You know, and one day Jesus was essentially asked this question. What's the most important thing when it comes to doing life well and following God well? What's, what's the greatest commandment? And so this morning as we, we look to bring Jesus in focus, we're going to focus in on how Jesus answers this question. And while that answer won't be surprising probably for any of us. When Jesus tells us that the greatest and, and the most important thing when it comes to living life well and following God well, it's something that we need to, to pay attention to. It's something that we need to be reminded of and called back to again and again and again so that we don't end up getting pulled in this direction and that direction and caught with trying to do the right thing here and the right thing there and missing the big picture what it's really all about. So that that, what Jesus says is most important, it becomes what shapes our thinking and shapes our attitudes, shapes our decision making. So this is what we read then in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Jesus asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And this is so simple, isn't it? And yet it's so powerful. Jesus says everything hangs on this. And the word for, for hang here is the kind of word that you'd use if you were hanging a door on its hinges or the kind of word that you use for, for hanging a coat, you know, on a, on a hanger. And when Jesus says all of the law and the prophets, essentially he's, he's, he's using shorthand and referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to live life well, if you want to know how to follow God well, If you want to know what God's will is, not only now, but has been his will for the entirety of time throughout the whole of the Old Testament, it hangs on these two things. Loving God and loving people. It's a little bit like this coat hanger. Everything hangs on this. If, so if you're getting confused and you feel like you're being pulled in different directions, if you come across something in Isaiah and you don't understand it and it's all a little bit confusing, then you come back to this. If you're reading along and you're reading Daniel and he's got these wacky visions, you're like, what on earth is that all about? Or Ezekiel and his wheels within wheels. Or you're looking through Leviticus and you're thinking, what's the point in all of this? Then you just come back to this again. If you're trying to work out, how do I respond? 
in this situation? How do I handle this situation? Is this an okay thing for me to be doing? What does it look like for me to handle things with my colleague when he just keeps on winding me up every day? And you just don't know how to handle it and you don't know what to do, then you just, you just come back to this. How is it that I can respond? How is it that I can make my decisions in a way that is an outworking of love for God and love for people? And so even though we might not be sure of all the right things to do, we might not be sure of everything the Bible has to say on this or that or the next thing or all of the right rules or whatever else it might be, if we're honest, almost all of us know in our heart what love requires of us. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it seems too painful, but we know it. And so Jesus, in the way that only Jesus can, makes everything so simple. And it is. It's really simple. It's straightforward. It's easy to understand. It's two statements. You can remember it. You can recite it. You can say it. But it's demanding. It's challenging. It's radical. Jesus does away with all of the rules and all of the things that we can feel we can kind of hide behind and we can argue over. And he boils it down to something so very simple and yet really hard. So if the challenge isn't understanding it, it's living it. How do we allow God to begin to shape and transform our thinking and our attitudes so it becomes more natural? And the starting point for me, I think what enables us to love God and to love others, the foundation that we build on is the foundation of God's love for us. God's love for you and, and God's love for me. And we find an amazing chapter. If you want to start to, to look into the love of God, one of the most amazing chapters you can look at to begin to understand God's love and, and what it means for us to love and what it is that he asks of us to do with love is, is 1 John chapter 4. And, but in verse 19, John writes this. It says, we love, we are able to love God and to love others because he first loved us. And this is something that we've been singing about already today. You know, we've been singing about God's amazing love for us. A love which is put into action. A love which is put into action by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us on a cross. A love which means that God has adopted us as his sons and daughters, as his children into his family. A love that means that God will never give up on us. A love which means that that, that God is promised that nothing will separate us from. Nothing can separate us from his love. A love which is is shown in the fact that he forgives us. And he washes us clean and he gives us a new start again and again and again. A love which is shown in the fact that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That he, he cared about you and he loved you so much that before time even began, he'd already had in mind what was best for you. How you could do life well. He already had in mind 
good things prepared for you. And so we need to constantly remember what God has done for us. Because it's when you know and have at the forefront of your mind how much God loves you that everything changes. It's when we lose sight of that that everything goes wrong. Because it's only in response to his love for us, it's only in response to God's love for me that I can begin to love. That I'm set free from being selfish and focused on myself. I'm set free from being worried about what people think of me and making sure everybody likes me. That I'm set free from being stressed about making sure that I've got enough in the bank and I've got food in the cupboard and everything's going to be taken care of. When I understand and I experience and I know God's love for me, it sets me free to live in a way that pleases God, to live in a way which isn't focused on myself, but is focused on loving him and loving others. But I don't know about you, but I know that I have a tendency left to myself to begin to lose sight of God's amazing love. It's not that I forget it. I know it's there. I know it's the case, but I just lose sight of it. It stops being at the forefront of my mind. I just get caught up in the other things which are going on in, in life. And I think that's natural. I think it happens to us. And I think that's why we read in the Psalms so often they give these lengthy passages to simply reminding themselves and talking about again how God loves them and what God's done for them and how he's put that love into action by rescuing them from out of slavery in Egypt, how he's put that love into action for them by helping them into, as a nation, how he's put that love into action for them and he's saved them in so many different ways. And this celebration of the love of God, this, this, uh, this kind of, reminding of themselves of how God puts his love into action then is what becomes the foundation and what underlies and what enables them to live lives of loving him to live lives of obedience to live lives of faith and trust in God and I think we need to do the same you know that's why part of what we do week in and week out is we sing songs to God Yes, part of that is about bringing pleasure to him and honoring him because he's worthy of it and he deserves it. But actually, as we fix our hearts on him, as we declare the truth, as we sing these songs, it reminds us of God's goodness. It reminds us of God's love. And it begins to stir our hearts to love him in return begins to stir our hearts to trust him. It begins to stir our hearts to look to him. It's as we remember and we receive and we know that God loves us that we're enabled to begin to love him in return. We outwardly sing the songs and we declare the goodness of God because of the effect that it has on us on the inside. Because our hearts are stirred. And God's love for us, God's love for you. God loves you unconditionally. God's love for you, it's sacrificial. God's love for you, it's passionate. God's love for you, it's it's eternal. It's never going to end. 
And if we want to be people who, as Jesus calls us to, begin to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, and we begin to love our neighbors as ourselves, then we first need to be rooted and grounded and established in the love that God has for us. And we begin to see what love is all about when we look at God. I think that's one of the big things for me too. We begin to see when we look at God and his love for us that love isn't a feeling. Love isn't a response to someone or something that makes us feel good. Which is, I think, how we so often understand love and talk about love within our society and within our culture. You know, I might say that I, I love a good steak or I love a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And what I'm really saying there is that what I mean by love is that this is how I respond to something that makes me feel good. And so love becomes a description of the, how I respond inside to something or somebody who makes me feel good. And that's the reason, well, I think one of the key reasons why we have so many problems in relationships within the society we live in, because the understanding of love that we have is that love is our response to somebody who makes us feel good. And so when we stop feeling good, what does that mean in terms of our love? And it becomes something which just is a feeling. And I'm so grateful that God's love for me isn't a response to me making him feel good. Because I know so often in my life I do things and I hold on to attitudes and I think things which do the opposite. Which displease him. Which go against him. And instead, when we look to God and when we look to learn what love is from him and his example, what we discover is that love is an affection and a passion for someone that is expressed through valuing them to such an extent that you put them first. Love means that we are committed to a person. To stand by them, to care for them, to meet their needs, even when it costs us. That's the kind of love that, that God puts into action for us. That's the kind of love that we see in God when, when Jesus died on the cross. That's the kind of love for him that God is then calling us to and desires to see in each of us. That's why Jesus says that we're to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. That we're to love him with every fiber of our being. That we would be so filled with an affection and a passion for God that it would be expressed through us valuing him to such an extent that we put him first. Even when it costs us. We put him first in every area of our lives, in every aspect of who we are, even when it costs us. It's a kind of love that fills our thoughts. It's a kind of love that affects our attitudes, that changes the way that we speak and what we do. That what we do in every day and in every moment would be an expression of our love for God, that we value him so highly that we put him first. 
when Jesus calls us to love God, it's so simple. And yet it is so radical. And it is so challenging. You know, one of the questions that I've been asked before, and you might have been asked it too, is, well, why does God want us to love him? Why does God want a whole bunch of people around worshipping him and loving him and all of that kind of stuff? You know, is he this kind of needy God? Does he need people to love him in order for him to feel good about himself? Is he this kind of egotistical God who is just so self-centered and so self-focused that he wants everybody else and demands that everybody else loves him and worships him too? I don't think that's the case at all. But it can be hard to understand sometimes, can't it? Why? What's it all about? And I, you know, I think that God commands us to love him and to put him first. Actually, because that's part of his expression of love for us and he knows the best thing for us. You know, God knows that left to ourselves, we are prone to love other things and to devote our lives to things. We're prone to, to love money. And to put money first and to have an affection and a passion for money that means that we express the value of money to us by putting it first and allowing it to shape our decisions and how it is that we live our life. Or we have a, 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 an affection and a passion for, for friendships and for relationships or for, for, for sex or for this or for that that means that we're prone to, to put it first. That we express the value that it is to us by putting it before everything else. We've got prone to love experiences, to, to love adrenaline highs or drug-induced drug highs. Or, and we end up loving things and putting things first and building our lives on things that ultimately will let us down. And God loves you enough to say, don't do that. Don't do it. The right place to put all that hope the right place to direct your love, the right foundation to build on is love for God. And it's out of love for us that God commands us to turn away from the things that will let us down, that will lead to hurt, that ultimately will destroy us and separate us from him for eternity. And instead to love him with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. And you know, up to this point, I reckon the crowd and the religious leaders that have been tracking with Jesus, they'd be following him, they'd be agreeing, they'd be nodding, they'd be yes. It starts to get controversial when Jesus goes beyond simply saying, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And then he says, there's this second commandment which is like it, which is equal to it, which is just as important, which is inseparable from it. And it's this, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and elsewhere, Jesus defines our neighbor as anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. Every single person has been created in the image of God. Every single person is someone who God values and is precious to him and he loves. And so anyone everywhere is your neighbor. And so Jesus says, not only are we to love God, not only are we to put him first, But we are to love our neighbor. We're to have an affection and a passion for them that is expressed through valuing them so highly that we put them first. 
that we are moved to meet their needs even when it costs us. And the controversial and the shocking thing with this is that Jesus says this love for our neighbor, this love for people is inseparable from our love for God. You know, we can sometimes end up thinking, you know what, I'm a good person. I love God, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, I don't swear, I don't drink, I'm polite, I'm nice to people, I follow the rules, I'm nailing it. And Jesus says, no. No. You're not. Because if you're just focused on what it's all about between you and God, then you are missing the point. These aren't two separate commands. You can't do one without the other. Your love for God is demonstrated by how well you love other people. Even the people who are difficult to love. And if you claim to love God but you don't love other people, then John is as blunt as you can be and he says in the verse after he said that we love because he first loved us in verse 20 of 1 John 4, he says you're a liar. It's not possible. If you really love God, then you'll love the people that he loves. And because Jesus says our neighbor is anyone, anywhere, it means we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to pick and choose who we love, who we put first, who we value in that kind of a way. We don't get to exclude people and decide that they're not worthy of our love, that they've hurt us or they've upset us or we think they're living life wrong. We're going to write them off. Jesus doesn't give us any exceptions. He simply says, love your neighbor. Love the people who you like and you don't like. Love the people who are different to you and who wind you up. Don't exclude anybody. And you know, sometimes I can think I'm doing a good job of loving people just because I'm nice. You know, I'm friendly, I smile at people, I'm polite, I chat to people, I think, yeah, I'm really nice and and I'm a loving guy. But you know, the rubber hits the road when when I start to realize what real love is. And then I realize how hard it is and I realize how much work God still needs to do in me. That to love someone is to have an affection and a passion for them that is expressed through valuing them to such an extent that I put them first. That I'm willing to meet their needs even when it costs me. You know, I've got to be honest, sometimes I look around and I see so much need. I see so many people who are hurting, so many people who are struggling financially, so many people who are lonely, so many people who, who need someone to listen to them or who need help in practical ways. Sometimes I see so much need that I don't even really know where to start. But if I'm really honest, sometimes I see so much need that I become desensitized to it. That it just stops hitting me, it stops impacting me. It's almost like I begin to see past it. 
And then it become like if you, the Levite and the priest in another story, Jesus says about the Good Samaritan, and I just walk on by. And yet Jesus says not just that I'm to, to love my neighbor, but that I'm to love my neighbor as myself. That when I see someone struggling, that when I see someone in need, that it should bother me to the same extent that as if I was the one going through it. Do you know, our world's in a mess, isn't it? It's full of broken and it's full of hurting people. People who are struggling with the pain of broken relationships. People who are are struggling with mental health and anxiety and fears and depression. People who are are struggling with the, the fact that they just feel alone and abandoned by this world. People who are battling physical illness. People who are battling with disease. A world's in a mess. And when you, when you see people going through all these different things, how does it impact you? How do you respond on the inside in your heart? I think our heart is shown for where it is, not just in the big things, but in the little things. Sometimes the little things make it home because we relate to them. You're in a shop and you're going up the stairs and there's an elderly gentleman in front of you who seems to be taking 30 seconds for every single step. How does your heart respond on the inside? I want to get past. I'm in a rush. I've got jobs to do. Get out of my way. Come on, hurry up. Or you move to such an extent that you've, out of love and compassion for them, that you value your neighbor enough to put them first. It's so easy, isn't it, to become focused on ourselves. To become focused on what it is that we want and what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. So easy to become desensitized to the constant needs that we see that we simply stop seeing people through God's eyes. We stop seeing people as people who are precious and valuable, people that Jesus died for. We lose sight of that. And we lose the ability to be able to love them in the way that God does. When we become focused on ourselves, we grow cold towards others. And I've been there all too often. And God's pretty clear about how he feels about it. He doesn't hold his point. God says this in Isaiah 1, and maybe this will hit you as much as it's hit me. It says, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Essentially, I hate it when you get together and do church. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Essentially, you're trying to love me and worship me while you're not bothering to love your neighbor and I won't have it.
And if we lose sight of what Jesus says it's all about, if we lose sight of how we're called to love others as ourselves, then in the end, when we come together and we sing these songs and we do church, the words that we sing will ring hollow and there will be a stench in God's nose. Because we've completely missed the point. Simple, isn't it? But my goodness me, it's hard. I think this is one of the reasons why we need each other. This is one of the reasons why I love it when people come into membership. Because we believe that above all else, God's highest purpose for us as a people is to love. It's to love Him, and it's to love one another, and it's to love our community. That's what we're all about as a church. And God is in the process of shaping us and forming us and transforming us to to become more and more like Jesus, to become people of love. But it doesn't come naturally. It goes against everything that's kind of built within us to look to ourselves. And so we need each other. And the great thing about church, why I, I love people coming into membership is because What's going on is it's a way for us to come together and to say, this mountain that I'm trying to climb, this mountain that can seem so high, this mountain that it's towards becoming a person of love like Jesus, I just seem to keep falling down. I'm not climbing it alone. We are committed to helping one another, supporting one another to climb that mountain. To being there for one another when it's hard. And calling one another up when we go off track and we lose sight of what it's all about. So that we will grow as people who love God and who love others. That's why we're getting together on a Sunday morning is so important. That's why I'd encourage everyone to be part of a growth group or a momentum group and to come along to things like Deeper because we need it. We need God. We need one another. You know, I need you to encourage me. I need you to help me to climb the mountain, to hold me to account, to become more and more like Jesus, just as much as you need me to encourage you. You know, I know that I've got a lot to grow in. I know there are times when I get caught up in selfish things and other things and I'm just living for myself. I know there are times when I don't love God the way that I want to. And I definitely don't love other people. It's easy with you guys. I like you. And if you're honest, I imagine there are times when you do too. And the amazing news and what I cling to and what I encourage you to cling to, which gives me hope, which gives me courage, which helps me to keep going, is the fact that that God knew that I was going to make a mess of it all. And he loves me anyway. That it was while I was still a sinner, while I was still in a mess, while I was getting this all wrong and living for myself and full of selfishness, that God loved me to such an extent that he was willing to send Jesus to die in my place so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be washed clean, so that I could have a new start. That he paid the price for all of the times when instead of loving him and loving others, I love myself. 
so that I can be forgiven again and again and again. So that I can have relationship with God here and now, hope here and now, but also for eternity. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to talk about this and feel like we've got to try and earn our way into kind of God's good graces by loving him and loving people. We know that actually it's because of what Jesus has done that he accepts us and he loves us. And that becomes the foundation. But as we look to him and as we accept him, as we receive his forgiveness, as we focus our hearts on what it is that he has done for us. We welcome him to fill us with his spirit and we say, God, we need your help. Stir our hearts afresh that we would love you more. Not just love you with part of us, but love you with all of us. With all of our heart and our soul and our mind. That you wouldn't be on the fringe, you'd be at the center. Help me to to love others more. God, to be moved with love and compassion. To have a soft heart. Because we need God's help with it. We can't do it on our own. Naturally, what happens is we just drift back to loving ourselves. And we need his help to change that. I need his help to change that. You need his help to change that. You know, when it comes to loving God this week, I want to encourage you just to make time for him. You know, sometimes we, we, kind of, we kind of go through fits and starts, don't we? And we do really well at spending time with God and reading the Bible and praying and things. And then we find that we're not getting any life out of it or we find it's a struggle or it's, we just get tired from getting up early or whatever it is and it just kind of drifts into the background. But I want to encourage you to make time for God. And for you to, for it to be a time when however it is that you feel or whatever it is that's going on, that it's not about you, but it's about you saying, God, I'm making this time, whatever happens, however close to you I might feel, whatever you bring to life or don't, making this time for you is a way of saying, God, I'm putting you first. I love you. I want you to be first in my life. So I want to just encourage you to make time for God. To make time for him by reading the Bible, make time for him by spending time in prayer. To, if that's something you already do, to, to, to search your heart, to ask yourself, is this something I'm doing is just like a, a checkbox on my to-do list? And ask God to stir you again, that it would be something that you do as a way of expressing your love for him. And it would help you through it to grow to love him even more. And when it comes to loving others, I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to soften your heart because it's so easy to grow cold. To ask him to help you to see the needs around you in a fresh way. You know, when you're wondering how to respond to your husband or your wife or your children or a work colleague, ask yourself how you can love them in such a way that you're putting them first. And while there are so many needs that sometimes it can seem hard to know where to start, 
And then a great little phrase a long time ago, which I've held to, which is, ask God simply to do for one what you wish you could do for all. To give you a soft heart so that you would have that desire to and that love for people to do it for everybody. But it's impossible. You can't give financially to every person who needs it. You can't be there for every person who needs your time. You can't listen to everybody. You can't solve everybody's problems. You can't do it. But don't let that be what causes you to not do it for anybody. Do for one or do for two what you wish you could do for all. And ask God to show you, to give you eyes to see the people that that's for, whether it's people in your life who you know here and now, whether it's someone on the street that you walk past who's got that bowl out asking for something and normally you just see past. We need God's help with this. I need God's help with this. I'm going to pray, and I just want to encourage you just to take a moment to, to bring to God, maybe to, just to be honest with him about where your heart's at. Be honest with him about what's been coming first for you in your decision-making, in your time, in your priorities. Be honest with him. Say sorry where you need to. Just invite him in to come and meet with you.